Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, Jesus prayed, saying, Holy Father, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be brought to perfection as one. That the world may know that you sent me. And that you loved them even as you loved me. Father, they are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be with me, that they may see my glory that you gave me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world also does not know you, but I know you, and they know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with, with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. I went on a, a retreat earlier this year, and the retreat master kept saying over and over and over the same line, which was, do you believe that you're Jesus? Which I just thought was kind of weird. Because there seemed to be something wrong with me saying, I believe I'm Jesus. I could easily fall into arrogance and actually believe that my will was always God's will. And this question that he poses, it stems from the church's teaching on the mystical body of Christ. That the church is a visible sign of Jesus in the world. Right, that the church is a sacrament of Jesus. And what it really is getting at is something that is very important. Which is a question of, are you in union with Jesus? Are you in union with Jesus? 
Because this is the Lord's prayer that he offers to the Father today. It's a prayer to be in union with him, to truly experience oneness, to truly be a community that's of one mind and one heart. And as our Lord prays this prayer to the Father, it's revealed that that union with Jesus stems from his union with the Father. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us. And that union between Jesus and the Father is a union that begins with the Father's love for him. He says over and over again that you loved them even as you loved me. I made known to them your name and I will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus knows the Father's love for him. So much so that even when he's asked to go to the cross, he does so willingly. Because he believes that the Father is not doing anything to harm him. And his response to the Father's love is to trust and to entrust himself to the Father. And so this union with Jesus is a participation in that love between him and the Father. That just as the Father loved Jesus, so Jesus loved us. When we look at the crucifix, what do we see? Do we see a person who loved us so much that he gave his life for us to heal us? And if we do see that person who loved us so much to give his life for us, to heal us, can we make that movement in our own hearts to trust him, to entrust our lives to him, to give up our resistance, to give up our desire for control over our own lives, to give up our desire for independence, Have we allowed the love of Christ to pierce through the fear of rejection in our hearts or the fear of abandonment in our hearts? When we receive the Eucharist each week, the Eucharist is a sign of unity where Jesus' body comes into our body and becomes part of our body. And it is a reality of unity because it is the body of Jesus. But the question that we should examine our hearts on is, am I really open to receiving all of those graces or am I sort of holding back because I'm afraid of giving up my independence or control? Am I afraid of abandonment or rejection. 
What are the obstacles to unity in our own hearts? Because the Christian life is about unity. And that unity comes as our hearts are transformed by our Lord. As he enters into our life. Most profoundly when we receive him in the Eucharist. Also, when we receive absolution in the sacrament of reconciliation. But also on a day-to-day basis, as we recognize our Lord's love for us in the normal, everyday things of our lives. Do we live our life in a way that reveals our unity with Christ? Have we let our hearts be transformed? This is the most important question that we should be asking when we talk about the new document or the new apostolic exhortation on marriage and family life, which is called Amores Laetitia, the joy of love. And it's troubling to see how the media is reporting on it because the media has reduced the whole document to a question of whether or not divorced and remarried people can be admitted to the Eucharist. The document itself only really references that question in a footnote. And yet, the sort of liberal media is talking about it as if it's a change in doctrine. And even conservative Catholics are talking about it as if it's a threat to doctrine. And we're focusing on this one issue. But the real important issue is, have we been converted? Have our families been converted? Have marriages been converted? Do we know the love of Christ in our lives? Or are we going through the motions? There are people in the church who are in difficult situations. There are people in the church where they got married and they didn't really know Christ and they got divorced and they got remarried. And then somewhere along the line in that second marriage, our Lord entered into their life and they were converted. And God's grace certainly can be active in their life. John Paul II always affirmed that reality while holding it in tension with the fact that they should absent themselves from communion until they've established externally that they are in a valid marriage. Sometimes it's true, people know in their hearts, my first marriage wasn't valid. But when they got married in the first place, they didn't get married in their hearts. They got married publicly. And so the process of getting a declaration for nullity, what is it? It's, I know in my heart that my first marriage was invalid. In a public way, I'm going to ask the church to confirm what I know in my conscience. But it doesn't mean that they are separated from our Lord entirely and going to hell until they get an annulment. That's an important point. But I think the bigger question for us as a church is how many people in the church are married validly and yet committing adultery in their hearts? 
And what are we doing for those people? How are we calling those people to conversion and transformation? How many people are married validly and they're lonely in their marriages? How many people have been practicing the church's teaching with regard to fertility? And they're waiting around for Jesus to send them all this joy and things that were supposed to come with having eight children. They're good and they're faithful, and yet there's something in their heart that needs to be transformed, that needs to be surrendered. We live in very difficult times where the world is against us. And the only way that we will persevere in this world is for our hearts to be transformed, is to know the love of Christ so much that we will remain faithful to him in the midst of persecution. And we see that in the example of Stephen in the first reading. Stephen, in the midst of persecution, the only thing that comes to mind are the same words that Jesus spoke. Father, in Jesus receive my spirit. Just as Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Just as Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen, in the midst of being persecuted, only speaks the words of Jesus because he's in union with Jesus, because his heart's been transformed, because the love of our Lord pierced through all of his fear and worry and anxiety and desire to be alone or independent or in control. And the fruit of his conversion was his martyrdom. And how do we work on that transformation? You know, are we allowing our Lord to be everything to us? In a very small and simple way of walking ourselves towards that transformation is to Realize that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That our Lord, it was through our Lord that we were created. Through him all things were made. And at the end of our lives, we hope to enter into union with him in heaven. And is Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of your day? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? Do you think about all the things I have to do today? Do you pick up your smartphone and check your email right away and see what kind of advertisements came through at two in the morning? Or do you wake up in the morning and turn and say, Jesus, what do you have in store for us today? To pray the morning offering, which is deliberately inviting our Lord to be part of every moment of the day. What's the last thing that you think about when you go to sleep at night? Do you reflect on how has our Lord acted in my day today? Do you make a quick examination of conscience and pray the act of contrition and ask for the grace to do better tomorrow? Are you asking for that grace of conversion in your life? Is our Lord 
the last thing you think about as you go to sleep? Or are you scrolling through Facebook to see what's going on with everybody else's life? Or watching television? Or reading a book? None of those things are evil in and of themselves, but they may be a distraction from the most important contact that we have, which is with our Lord. That most important contact which leads to the grace of conversion. Because as we practice that presence of God in the day-to-day actions of our life, He will move your hearts to conversion. If there's something in your life that needs to be transformed, our Lord's presence there will lead to the transformation. We cannot love God and mammon. We can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Inviting our Lord into where we are, he will move you further into union with him. It's how grace works. It's how conversion works. In the first opening prayer for the Mass, we talked about how on earth we want to have an, a, a sense of our Lord's abiding with us. That He remains with us. He's not simply here with us while we're here. Most profoundly when we receive Him in the Blessed Sacrament, but He abides with us throughout the week. If he truly does, we'll be transformed and people who see us will see Jesus. We don't become Jesus. But we live in him. And as the Father loved him, he loves us. And as he loves us, we love our neighbor. And we transform our own lives, our family's lives, our community's lives. We become a light that shines in the darkness of our culture. And so today let us pray to have a greater zeal about the conversion in our own hearts. For the grace to invite our Lord into our lives in the morning. And to check back in with him as we go to sleep at night. And let us pray especially for all of the marriages and families that need to be converted. Whether they're in our own parishes or their family members who are distant from the church or friends, that our Lord will bring them the joy of family life, the joy of love, which our Holy Father has so rightly focused our attention on in these current times.